welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Today on the program, we have a repeat guest, uh, someone I've interviewed before, uh, actually about probably a year and a half ago with uh, his brother, uh, Vinny. Uh, this is Carmine Apice. And so uh, I had a great chat with him. He's also had me on his program, Hanging and Banging with Carmine and Vinny Apice. And, uh, and they do a weekly YouTube show, which is uh, a lot of fun. I had the opportunity to be on with a couple of other uh, DJs, uh, people in the music biz, and uh, and we had a really great chat. That was earlier this year, I want to say, March. Um, yeah, so you can go back and uh, check that out. Uh, it was a, a fun little hang, but he's had a lot of other great guests on his program, including uh, Weird Al, Paul Schaefer, um, so many others, uh, to, too many to name, Ted Nugent, uh, you know, a lot of other people in the, uh, in the industry. So um, recommend checking that out. But today he's here um, more so to talk about his project with uh, Fernando uh, Perdomo um, uh, called the uh, Peace Perdomo Project. And they have a new album called Energy Overload. Uh, that they uh, put together and it's a little different to make an album in COVID times but uh, but they did it and it's an instrumental album so um, recommend checking it out um, all right uh, before we get into the interview um, we'll give an update on what's going on in my world pretty much it's all uh, getting ready for duck hunting season uh, which is coming up this weekend uh, I'm really excited about it uh, Friday I'll actually be sleeping in my car uh, which uh, is a pastime I've grown used to over the past couple of years. Uh, I never thought as I'm nearing 40 that I would be so comfortable sleeping in my car, but, uh, but I do what I got to do to go out and chase some ducks. So I don't know. It's a, an interesting, fun hobby that it's, it's hard to explain if you haven't partaken uh, just how exciting it is. Um, I really enjoy it. I enjoy it for a lot of different reasons. Uh, you know, one, you know, not necessarily because I'm good at it, because I'm not, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm on the, you know, I'm not very good. Let's just say, okay. Uh, I'm not a very good hunter, uh, but I try. And, uh, and I've learned over the past couple of seasons, um, uh, some of the areas where I struggle and are and working to improve upon those areas. So um, this is my fourth season um, duck hunting. And so I'm going to be hunting all weekend. I'm going to be exhausted, just exhausted, completely exhausted by the end of the weekend, uh, but in a good way because uh, I'm doing what I enjoy. And, uh, you know, and there's a lot of re reasons, like I said, that I enjoy it. Uh, I really like going out and seeing the sunrise uh, and, and, and uh, over the marsh. It's just incredible. Um, uh, I love harvesting my own food. Uh, there's a joy that comes to eating something that you have harvest, harvested yourself and know exactly where it came from uh, and how fresh it is. And uh, you have a respect for the food that you eat in that sense, a respect that you don't get from like the Papa Murphy's pizza I ate tonight, uh, which is sitting in my stomach, not doing great things. Um, say, I, I'm having regrets over the Papa Murphy's pizza, I'll just be honest. Uh, wish I didn't eat three big slices. It was too much. And uh, feel like I'm gonna be paying for that uh, down the line a little bit. But 
I can't worry about that now. Duck hunting is just a few nights, uh, a few days away, right? Uh, so this weekend I'm going to be heading out with some friends, um, doing some duck hunting on a local refuge, and um, and uh, and having a good time. Really, really looking forward to it. Uh, I I'm not getting the busy start to this uh, season that I would like. Uh, I'm gonna have to miss the whole next week after the first couple of days, which is tough because the weather is the weather is getting great right the rain is really a positive thing for duck hunting and um and bringing the birds in um and i'm gonna have to miss some hunts because work and because of my uh son's birthday and halloween coming up things that you know are not able to be moved and i have to adapt to so that's unfortunate but uh but there will be other hunts um, but, and while I'm on the conversation of rain, that kind of leads me to how I need to prepare for, uh, duck hunting in the rain. Uh, it's, it's hard enough for someone with glasses to, um, to, to duck hunt because I'm wearing a full camo mask, uh, that, you know, that covers my nose and fogs up my glasses ultimately. So I have to keep adjusting it and moving, you know, moving it down a little bit. Also cutting a you know, bigger hole in my mouth area, just getting some circulation going already as it is. But with the rain, uh, it is a lot tougher because I, um, I mean, obviously I don't have windshield wipers on my glasses or anything along those lines. So uh, I would have a very difficult time seeing through the rain that's on my glasses. So that takes me to contacts, which I, uh, have gotten uh, specifically for duck hunting. I um, I'm not great at putting the contacts in. Um, I still haven't become great at it yet, uh, and I uh, dread doing it. But I tried a couple weeks back and wasn't able to put them in at all. I tried for you know, a, a good bit until I just had to give up. I tried again yesterday, and I was actually able to get my contacts in, uh, and I kept them in all day. And then at night, uh, I took them out. Uh, but before then, like I, I got a bit of a headache uh, from having the contacts in all day. I don't know what exactly caused it. Uh, also, it was harder to get one out than the other. The first one came out pretty easy, but the second one, uh, for a little bit, I wasn't even sure if it was still in my um, in my eye because I was rubbing my eye raw and one not able to get it out originally. But I got it out. We're okay. I'm gonna. I, I, I'm gonna really try again one of the next couple of days before I go out and then I'm just ultimately going to sleep with them in my eyes Friday night probably because I can't put them on in my car that I'm going to be sleeping in uh, while I'm out hunting. So that's my cross of air. I didn't prepare for it enough over the off season because I just wasn't interested in putting them in. I should have prepared more absolutely but I didn't. Um, so it is what it is uh, but let me just say as well I freaking love the rain. I'm so glad we're getting rain here in the Bay Area. We need it more than anything. Uh, and I hear that all these places, you know, uh, around the country that are getting weather and getting rain and having storms and, you know, and I want them all to be safe, but I'm, I've been envious of the wet, uh, weather and the rain that they've had, had um, and wasn't sure that we were going to get any at all uh, this season. Um, a lot of the refugees are, refugees are uh, dry because without the lack of rain that we that we've had the lack of water on the refuges so, but 
um, I'm going to be going to one where I'm told there will be a good amount of water. So that's a positive thing because you need the water to bring the ducks into your pond. So going to go out, hang in the rain uh, uh, for Friday with a, a bunch of friends um, and sleep in my car and then get out and break, shoot some ducks, bring, you know, bring them home hopefully on Saturday and then uh, go out early, early Sunday morning and do it all again. Um, my weekend will be filled with duck hunting, which means that so uh, the podcast and program might be slowing down a little bit over the coming weeks. So if there's an off week or two here or there um, where uh, we don't have a program, don't worry. We're going to keep making shows and keep doing, uh, keep bringing on bands as we can um, and, uh, uh, and bringing music to the concert pipeline audience. So, so nothing to worry about there. I can't think of anything else to share besides duck hunting. You know, that's just what's on my mind right now. Uh, and, uh, and I'm super excited about it. So uh, that's all I got for the opener. Um, but uh, I think we should bring Carmine in because I had a re another really great chat with him uh, and, uh, and we're gonna bring him in right now. Uh, here's Carmine a piece. Carmine, how you, how doing? you doing? I'm good, dude, how you doing? Hey, doing really well, thanks for Taking the time, good to chat with you again. And, uh, no thanks problem. For... No problem. I recognize your name because you're, you're the Sex Pistols. I'm the Sex Pistols guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we we had some fun on your uh, uh, on your YouTube show. So, and I've seen. I mean, you've you've been keeping it going. You've been interviewing a lot of really cool people. I wanted to. Yeah, I know. It's, we're trying to get it built up, you know. And it's uh, it's crazy. I did an interview with this ten year old kid yesterday, you know, and. Uh, it's called the Jam Man. There's 125,000 subscribers. Really? I mean, yeah. there's some there's some child prodigies out there. Have you heard of Nandy Bushel? No. Like she's she's 11 years old now, but she challenged Dave Grohl to a drum off. Uh, she's a, she's a little uh, 11, oh, yeah. Yeah, 11 yeah. year old, and they did this virtual drum off, you know, uh, sort of thing during COVID, and he ended up writing a song about her. And just oh. a couple of weeks weeks back, uh, you know, sh uh, he brought her out to play on. Uh, oh, I on, saw that. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. yeah at the for their show at the forum, and yeah, she, I mean, exactly. She's, yeah, she's that's amazing. Cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's good that he's got the uh, ability to and the power to play the the forum. Oh know, yeah, and, and do that stuff, you know. Because yeah. most drum, well, that's because he's not. He's not doing that band as a drummer. He's doing it as a lead singer, guitar player. As Buddy yep. Rich said, if it was the drummer, he'd be playing a 500C place. <laughs> right, right. Well, I so I saw him actually a, about a month ago. He was here in Napa um, doing the Bottle Rock Festival, and he did a lot of cool things. Of course, Foo Fighters played, but he played with. Uh, he came out and jammed with Guns N' Roses uh, in, right. on uh, Paradise City, and then yeah, well, was, was it a festival? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's a good guy doing all that kind of stuff, but you know, he's 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 playing in in that uh, the upper echelons of uh, the rock business right now, you know, right. where you know can can do that easy, you know. Yeah, yeah. He just put, he's a good guy. Yeah, um, have, he just put out a a memoir, so that kind of leads me to my first question for you. I mean, you have so many stories, and obviously we've talked through yeah. uh, a little bit of them in the past. But like, have you ever thought uh, put out a book or th uh, thought about putting out a my book? memoir? Yeah, I got a book. I uh, released it in 2016. It's called "Stick It: My Life of Sex, Drums, and Rock and Roll." 
Oh, right. Okay. We did talk about that before. Yes. Yeah, so that's my, but I'm, I'm working on the next one. I'm supposed to be doing it with a guy that just is completing a Led Zeppelin book who got a, a big giant advance. He did the, a, a Beatle book that sold a million units. And uh, he said he wanted to do this with me, even though I haven't been able to get a hold of him for the last month or so. It's, I want to do Guitar Zeus, the book. Yeah. Oh, that'd be, that'd, and just that'd talk be really about cool. all my experiences with all the different guitar players I played with in my life, which was a lot of them <laughs> when I started listing them, you know? Yeah. But I don't know if that's going to happen with him. Hopefully it will, because he's got a big connection with the book companies now. And he said, no, don't worry. I'll get the book deal and everything. I said, all right, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to do that. But he was finishing this Led Zeppelin book. That's how I met him. He, he, he called me to you know be in his Led Zeppelin book, and then he asked me if I knew how to get a hold of Jeff Beck, and I hooked him up with the Jeff Beck camp, and and then uh, he said, you know, I told him about my idea. He said, oh, I love that idea. Let me finish his Zeppelin book, and then we'll get right on to that. I said, okay. So I've been waiting for him. Yeah. Well, what was the process like for you with pulling together your first book? Like, how do you how do you well, kind of slim down? When you have so much experience, right? Like, I mean, you've been well, doing this what forever. I did, what I did was in the 80s, I had the idea to start doing this. And I had a different title. The title was going to be The International Rock Guide to Hotel Wrecking. Because yeah. that's what we used to do all the time. And uh, and I, I, I told stories on 12 different cassettes and gave it to my manager to, um, you know, transcribe it. Unfortunately, he lost four of the four of the tapes but out of the eight tapes that i sent him he got 112 pages of stories of manuscript so i've had that in my possession since like the late 80s you know and every once in a while i'd say well i'm going to get a, i'm going to try and get my book deal i hook up with somebody and try and do a book deal but not until um, I hooked up with this manager that hooked up my Guitar Zeus albums, got me a deal on VH1 books. And Nikki Six had his heroin diaries on that. So when I, they hooked me up, they, they asked me if I would like uh, any of their writers. And you know, the writer of uh, Nikki Six's book was interested in doing my book. So we, they hooked me up with him and I, I started doing it. By the time we finished writing it, VH1 was going out of business in the book business. So we had the book done. I had the writer. They paid me my advance, which was great. It was yeah. a good size advance. But then I was stuck with no book deal. So I said, well, so he, the writer said, well, I know a company named uh, Chicago Review Press that might want to take it. So we got a hold of them. They were a smaller company. They wanted to take it and they gave me a bit of an advance also. So altogether, I got a decent size advance, you know. And then we, then we, he did a deal in England with another company, Music Sales. They did a terrible job in the book over there. Yeah. Uh, but the book over here, you know, we recouped and we actually get royalties. But uh, and I ended up doing maybe maybe about ten thousand books, you know, which was okay. But I didn't make it on. You know, I wanted to make it to the New York Times bestseller list. It didn't do that. You know, because this was a long time in the making. 
yeah. was a bit disappointed in the end result, not in the re end result of the book itself, but the end result of the, uh, you know, of the, of the, the outcome, the deal, yeah. the, the outcome, you know, even though a lot of people have bought the book, love it. And I sell it at all my gigs and, and it's called Stick in My Life of Sex, Drums and Rock and Roll. And there's some crazy wild sex stories in that book in which I, I told the writer, I said, do you, do, you really, do you think we should put these in there? He said, definitely. He says, all the middle-aged women love that stuff. Yeah. He said, all the sex stuff we had in Nikki Six's book, the women love that stuff. So anytime like a woman goes to buy it when we're at the merch table, I said, look, this is X-rated. And then they go, oh, great. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And there's some wild stories in there, but there's all some great stories and historical stories. And, you know, you know my life stories. I mean, there's a, a lot of stories that were left out. I mean, I could do a part two, but I think if, if I do the Katarzus, the book, it'll fill in some of those stories. Yeah. What, what was one of the stories that didn't make the cut that you're like, I would, you know, I wish this would have gotten in the... Oh, no, I'd have to review it that I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Digging. I mean just like, I, I don't know, just um, I'd have to go through my book and really remember and go through the manuscript. And at this point, I don't remember which stories were left out. You know, oh, he cut them short, you know, like Blue Murder was cut short. Uh, the guitars, making guitars was cut short, you know. That kind of stuff was cut short. Yeah. Um, so so let's talk about the new album uh, yeah. a little bit, right? I mean, so I know you've been you've been working on this for a while, and you've been um, partnering with uh, for, uh, Fernando uh, Perdomo, right? So yes, yes. And his his guitar on the album, I mean, incredible. You talk about a lot of great guitars that you work yeah, with, he's, like he's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, it reminds me of Satriani. I mean, it just has that you know that powerful feel and it's just like smooth so you know i i really did and not only guitar he played the bass and the keyboard yeah it's just you and, too and right engineered like, it you know it's yeah. just us us too and you know it's it just while how it started and when it started was perfect timing because i just moved to florida and my brother built my uh recording system for me vinnie's a, a a computer geek yeah, he has. He's had a studio in his house for years, so I told him I wanted to put a studio. And what does he think? He said, "Well, I'll build you a, a really like Frankenstein computer, uh, the actual computer, and I'll and I'll get everything and I'll hook it up in my house and I'll get it running as a studio, and then I'll ship it to you." I said, "Okay," and then uh, and we'll use a PC and Cubase because that's what I I use, and you know. If you have any problems, you can call me and I could, you know, over FaceTime or, you know, Skype or whatever we use, uh, WhatsApp, you know, yeah. I can, and TeamViewer, I can go into the computer on the phone and we could, you know, I could show you how to work it. So that's what we did. So I ended up doing a couple of sessions like for Cleopatra. I did one with Arthur Brown, uh, redoing his big hit Fire with me and Brian Auger playing on it. And that was pretty cool. And I did my own drum sound, you know. Once I got the system, I started screwing around. I'm, I'm endorsed by Audix mics. I had all my Audix mics. I put them up. I set them up the way I normally set them in the studio. And, you know, Vinny already made me a template. So I just hooked them up and, you know, with Vinny's help. And I started getting the drum sound, you know. 
And uh, so I did a couple of tracks for Cleopatra, like a tribute thing for a Pink Floyd record. And this and that started learning how to do it. So then when I got the call from Fernando and the way I got the call was through Tom Dowd, you know, the great producer, Tom Dowd, his family, his wife and his daughter called me and said, Tom was working with this kid. Well, he was a kid to me, he's 40 years old, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that uh, he wanted to work with me on a couple of tracks because he was going to do a solo album and want me to play on a couple of tracks. And uh, can he call me? I said, sure. I thought to myself, well, if I do a couple of tracks, it will be, you know, I'll learn more about how to run my studio. So he called me and I, I, he told me what he's been doing. And he's in that uh, Netflix uh, documentary, Echo of the Canyons. Okay. Which is all about Laurel Canyon in the 60s with, you know, Clarence Stills and Nash and Frank Zappa and, you know, everybody that lived in the canyon. And they did a big concert in, in LA and they did an album tribute to it. And he played on the album with, you know, Eric Clapton and, and David Crosby and all these other guys. And they're all in the, in the movie and, and Fernando's in the movie, you know, quite a bit. So yeah. that, was like, that was like his claim to fame at the time. So uh, I didn't even look at it until lately anyway, but I took the fact that Tom Dowd wanted to work when he must be pretty good. So, so we started off by saying, okay, well, why don't we try this? I have some songs on my iPad that are instrumental, you know, and uh, why don't I send you one and you send it back to me with your parts on it and I'll put drums to it, we'll see how it goes. And I'm thinking to myself, if this works out, I could, you know, keep working with this kid and learn how to work my studio better. Yeah. So I sent him the first track, which was Thunder. And I had my Slingland drums up at the time. I put the drums on and when he sent it back to me and I put the drums on, I said, wow, this sounds really good. And then he said, I got a guy that could mix this. He lives in Florida, we're near you. Okay, let's give it to him. So he mixed it and it sounded great. I said, wow. I said, you want to do another one? He goes, yeah, let's do another one. So I sent him another track called the, uh, the Jackson uh, Groove or whatever it's called on the album. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he sent it back to me and I put the drums on that and we sent it to the guy who mixed it and it sounded great. So he said, well, I got one to send you. I said, okay, send it to me. So he sent me uh, the, thing, the track called Little Havana, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of like he's Cuban. His family's Cuban, they're from Cuba. He's born in Miami, a Cuban Miami guy, lives in LA now. So he sent me this one, he called it Little Havana and had a, a bit of a Latin overtone. So I played it heavy rock, you know, with a little bit of my Latin experience in there. And then when it ended, I said, well, I'm gonna add another part to this. So I did this fast shuffle, like Parchment Farm, uh, half a teacher uh, uh, living alone, like from BBA boogie kind of thing with accents. And I said, look, I added something to it, a drum part. Once you put some guitar and bass to that and see what, what happened. So he did, and it was great. Yeah. So we kept it and we called it Little Havana was the Latin part and Big Havana was the rock part, right? Yeah. So then I, that clued in my head he can play stuff to drum parts and make them sound really interesting. So we kept recording. And then I said, you yeah, know, I got some drum tracks that 
might be really cool. So why don't I send you two or three of those? So I sent him two or three of those and he came up with Rocket to the Sun, uh -huh. he came up with Flower Child. And one of my favorites uh, was the uh, Pure Ecstasy, funky as hell. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good one. You know? And so kept recording. Now I'm really learning. Now I got my D drum set up and then I got my two old cactus bass drums in there. And yeah. they sound fantastic. So I did some of the tracks with, with that. And then I switched to the, uh, to the D drums. And then I switched to the D drums with the cactus bass drums. And then I kept an old sled, the slingle and snare on there. When I got an array of snare drums I could use. And I started coming up with really cool drum sounds. You know, and then we did the vanilla fudge stop in the name of love. Which you did, yeah. Set up with the with the old bass drums and the sling with that setup, and it sounds great, you know. And then I got my friend Pat uh, Regan to mix that, and then I did uh, some sessions with this uh, woman I'm producing and Lisa G, and I did two songs with her, and I got Pat to mix it, and the drum sounds is uh, happening, you know. And Pat's loving the drum sounds I'm getting there, so. You know, so we ended up doing 18 songs with me yeah. and Fernando, and we picked 12 of them. And I said, you know what, I'm going to talk to Cleopatra about releasing this, you know, because this is some really good stuff. I said, normally, album, instrumental albums, even Santriani, are more jazz rock sure. and rock jazz, you know, and with, with the big drum sound I get and the, and the rock sounds he's getting on guitar. It's more like a rock, progressive rock instrumental album than a jazz album, you know? Yeah. So it kind of a little different than all the, the instrumental albums that come out. And there hasn't been a lot of instrumentals coming out lately, you know? Was this, did you envision this as an instrumental from the beginning or did you toy with, uh, maybe yeah, we should get some, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, it's like, I was doing Cactus, I was doing Vanilla Fudge, I'm doing the yeah. King Cobra record, and they were all, they were all singing, you know, I said, I said, no, the first thing I sent him was an instrumental. Second thing I sent him was an instrumental that I had on my iPad that I wrote on, you know, GarageBand. I played everything on, you know, on iPad. Uh, and then when it came back with him playing it, it sounded really cool because he, sometimes he sounds like Jeff Beck. As a matter yeah. of fact, um, you know, on my Hanging the Banging show, we had Susie Quattro. Mm -hmm. right? I know Susie from back in the days when I was with Beck and Rod and all that from England. And after the show, she started emailing me and we're talking and she said, um, would you want to play maybe on my album, play a couple of tracks? I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. That'd be fun. And then she said, well, send me something new so I could hear what you sound like today. So I sent her this thing, Flower Child, right? So she emails me back and she goes, I love this track. She goes, is that who I think it is on guitar? Because it sounds like Jeff Beck. Uh -huh. I said, no, it's not. I said, it's not. Hold on, Paul Shotino's calling me. Let me tell him I'll call him back. Sure. Paul, I'm doing a Zoom interview and um, I'll call you back. I'll call you back uh, about 2.30. Okay, I'll, I'll talk to you in a minute, bye. And this is how we're doing the King Cobra album too, right? Yeah. Send me stuff, I play drums, send them stuff, they put the guitars, you know, it's crazy. Anyway, so I said, no, it's not. I said, who do you think it is? She goes, Jeff Beck. I said, no, it's not Jeff. 
She goes, because I'm trying to get Jeff to play on my new album. I said, well, good luck. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Hopefully you can get him. But this is this, my partner in my new album called, uh, you know, Fernando Perdomo, who's a monster. He's a great player. He sounds like Jeff a lot. He sounds like a great rock guitarist. He sounds great. She goes, wow. She goes, do you mind if I write lyrics and melody to this? I hear lyrics and melody to this. I said, feel free, you know? So as far as I know, she's writing lyrics and melody to that track. And we just finished the second video for the song, for that song, for the album. And we're, we're gonna, we're starting to talk to Cleopatra about the release date for that. And, you know, you, you always gotta get a partner to release a video, you know, like a guitar, Player magazine or something. Yeah, so it's a drummer magazine, something, you know. So it gets out there, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we're working on that now, but I'm getting great, great response on all the interviews I'm doing. People and guys like yourself, you know, are loving this album. I said, you know, I one guy said, I've been listening to it all day and I'm doing my chores. And and it's a great record to to drive to, it's a great record to do your stuff with. And exactly. Much, he says, I found myself humming the melodies, even though there's no lyrics. I yeah. said, that's great. And that's what we try to do is create instrumental songs that have melodies and hooks that will stick in your head. Yeah, totally one of those albums you can listen to over and over for sure. So yeah. good work there. Um, so with uh, you mentioned Vanilla Fudge and doing Stop in the Name of Love. Tell me a little bit about how that came about. Well, that was, um, we started it in 2019. It was going to be an album called uh, Supreme Fudge, right? And uh, we were going to do five Supreme songs, a couple of other R&B songs, and then maybe two or three originals. So we started it. Now, Tim Bogart hasn't been in the band for a long time, and he, he had gotten sick with cancer. And in 2019, I knew he was sick with cancer. And uh, so we started recording in 2019. So the first song we did in December of 2019 was Stopping the Name of Love. And then I said, well, look, um, the holidays are here and then we go to the NAMM show. So why don't I, when I go to the NAMM show, why don't I try and put Tim on the track? At least, you know, we can get Tim on one or two tracks on this album. Tim agreed to it. So everybody said, fine. So I went to, the NAMM show in January 2020. We went to Jorgen um, Carlson, who plays bass with Government Mule, we went to his little studio, which me and Tim worked there before because we're releasing a, a live BBA from 1974. That's never been out. And Tim had to fix some vocals in probably 2018. We did that, you know, and uh, before he knew he was sick. And so we went back there. And we said, let's put Tim on the bass. And now he's got stage four cancer in his brain. And it's really, it was really sad. But as soon as he plugged in and started playing, it locked right in what I was doing on the drums and the band. But then Jorgen pointed out the drums needed to be, be redone because there was leakage of organ and guitar all over it. So I said, okay, well, I'll go back into the studio in New Jersey and I'll put the drums on again. And then COVID hit. So that was the yeah. end of that idea, you know? So nothing happened not with the song, just sat there. And, and, the, and the manager said, well, you guys gonna be able to do an album with this COVID? I said, I don't think we're gonna, we can do an album till this is over. 
You know, I said, we have the one song with Tim on it and the drums need to be fixed. If I can fix the drums, he said, well, maybe I could turn it into a single deal. I said, all right. So he tried, he said he can do that. And then I had moved to Florida and then he sent me the studio and blah, blah, blah. And once I got the drum sound, I was confident with the drum sound and my own engineering. I attempted to play on that track and I, I got a really good drum track, you know? Yeah. And then I sent it to Pat Regan to mix and he mixed it and it sounded awesome. And, uh, and then by the time it was mixed and everything was done, it was 2021, you know? And now it was a, a singles deal. And I'm the only one in the Vanilla Fudge that has somewhat of a studio to work in, you know? So we, even though like I have three arrangements of, of Supreme songs on my iPad that I did without the band and Mark Stein has some ideas and Vinny had ideas. So we never got in to do that. And I don't know if we're gonna get in to do it at all because this COVID keeps going. Yeah, yeah, it's not giving up. Um, but, but you're touring with uh, Vanilla Fudge too. You have a planned tour, yes. right? We have uh, nine shows coming up in October, end of October, November. And I actually have three shows with Cactus as well. And that Cactus album came out in April and it came out very quietly. And I think it's one of the best Cactus albums we ever did. You know, so yeah. we're, we're still gonna release a video of uh, Papa's Like Rolling Stone from that record. But um, as far as dates go, we're gonna probably do some, maybe some more dates in 2022, you know? Yeah. How have the live shows that you've been doing? I know you did Drone Wars with Vinny and- That's and all I did. That's all you've done so far, I, yeah. I did three shows this year with yeah. Vinny. And the last, what the, funny, the first show was a cutting room in, in uh, about three weeks ago. The last show I did February 9th, 2020 was the cutting room with Vinny. Yeah, so, so right the back where the first. Yeah. You know, but it was a big difference. The first, the last one we did, the place was packed, you know? Yeah. The first show we did, you had to have the validation that you were, you had the shot and you had to have a test or you couldn't get in. Yeah. You know? So, and there's still a lot of people not going out because they're afraid to. So we had maybe 40% of the 100%. Right. Yeah. What, what does it feel like for you to be playing the shows again, playing on a stage, even if it's. Well, I got to admit, the first night when I, the playing with the band was okay. When I did my solo, I thought I sucked. Yeah. Yeah, second night, which is a few days later, because we, we, we did Sunday, we were gonna do Wednesday in another place, Friday and Saturday. The, the Wednesday fell out due to COVID, you know? And uh, so we, we had four days off and then we played Friday and that was better. And Saturday we played a, a proper, really cool venue in Buffalo, New York. And then I was back to, back to my stride again. And yeah. then my brother came out and Introduced me. He's like, oh, my piece on drums. You could, what about that drum solo? Who do you know at 75 plays like that? You know? And the whole place started cheering. And I felt a lot better about that solo even before he did that. You know? So I know if I would have kept going, it would have got better and better. So now we've got nine shows and three with Cactus. So I, I assume by November 17th, the last FUD show, and, and you know, we would have done all those shows, I'd be well into my stride again. Yeah, whistle, whistle be greased. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, you know, it's just a matter of getting, 
it's mental too, you know, and you're getting in yeah. there, it's fun to play. And but it's like riding a bike normally with the songs. Like I said to myself today, I'm gonna to start listening to the set list of the songs of Vanilla Fudge. So when we go into the day's rehearsal, uh, I actually know the songs. <laughs> yeah. It's good to, good to have that. Yeah, because I, I know, I mean, obviously it's gotta be a lot of dusting off the cobwebs, you know, to go yeah. back and and, uh, and relearn. I mean, especially with multiple bands, uh, you know, the career spanning as long as yeah. yours, yours has, right? Like you just yeah, have to re reteach yourself it a bit. Yeah, and same with Cactus. We're, we, we're playing the first show on the 5th of November. My last show, uh, is on the uh, the thirty first with Cac uh, with Fudge. So I was going to be in New York the first and the second. Then the third, I go in the morning to Chicago. And at night we all get there. And at night from five to like nine, we're going to rehearse at the venue, right? And then nine a.m. to twelve a.m. Uh, to twelve p.m. the next morning another rehearsal. And then the day that night off, and we'll, we'll probably go over stuff in the hotel. And then on the fifth, we do the first gig. Yeah. And we have some new members in there because a couple of the guys, the singer didn't want to go out with COVID, you know, and, uh, and a harmonica player couldn't make it because his wife had a surgery, she had to be with her. So we have a new singer filling in and a new harmonica player. And I didn't want to blow the dates out, you know, because yeah. you know, people were, were advertising and everything and so, so it's going to be interesting. Yeah. How would you describe your relationship with your your brother from a sense of the, the drum? I mean, you both grew up with drums, but like, I mean, would you say you're mentors for each other? Um, and kind well, of I was been... I was his mentor. Yeah. I'm 11 years older, and you know, when when he was started playing, he was like eight years old. So yeah. I was already, you know, well, no, he was older. He was 10 years old because I was already in Vanilla Fudge on the Ed Sullivan Show and on all the TV shows and playing Madison Square Garden and playing all these big shows. And, you know, my mother used to come with my father and bring him, you know, and my sister usually, you know. And so by the time, you know, I used to go home and I left the drum set home, he was like 10. And I realized he was a good player. And then I took him to like symposiums for Ludwig, which is like a week long drum camp, you know, so I, I Took him to all these things, you know, yeah. and uh, got him going. I realized his talent when he was like 10. We sent him to my teacher. By the time he was 12 or 13, he was great, you know. Didn't take long. He had to read, yeah. yeah, and he had the talent. And I, I, when I first heard him play, in the, and we wrote a song on the album called Brothers and Drums on our album. And, and in it was the, was the lyric that my mother said to me. She said, I said, uh, where did he learn to do this? She goes, he goes in there every day and practices. And he's driving me crazy like you did, you know? And we put that into the song, you know? Yeah. And we put in the whole thing and how I started. And then Vinny grew up watching me play. And, and now we're brothers and drums, you know? That was the, that was the hook, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but, you know, so I was his mentor. And then he, you know, he, he got into Buddy Rich and Billy Cobham and, and Mavis Orchestra and, and my playing and, and, you know, a bunch of that stuff. And then when he was 16, he was, he played with John Lennon. Yeah. You know? and, I mean, and then he quit school and he went on the road with Rick Derringer, opening up for Aerosmith and stadiums, you know? And then by the time he was uh, 1980, he was like, uh, 
who was he? Uh, oh, I don't even know how old he was then. You know, maybe 19. I brought him yeah. out to LA as well and stayed in my apartment with me, you know, got him hooked in with some stuff out there with Andy Johns, did his access record with Danny Johnson. You know, so, I mean, I've been heavily involved in the beginnings of his, of his career, except for the John Lennon connection and the Rick Derringer connection. Matter of fact, when Rick called my house, he said to my mother, he said, hi, Mrs. Apathy, you know, is Vinny there? She goes, who's this? He goes, Rick Derringer. She goes, oh no, you don't mean Vinny, you, you want Carmine. And, and he goes, no, I want to talk to Vinny. Uh -huh. She says, no, you may, you're mistaken, it's Carmine. <laughs> So he says, look, I know Carmine. It's not Carmine I want to talk to. I want to talk to Vinny about playing with me in my new band. And she just couldn't believe that Rick Derringer was calling because she knew all the names for me, you know? Yeah, yeah. And she already made lasagna and uh, food for Jeff Beck and Rick Derringer now, <laughs> you know? So, and then she made lasagna for John Lennon. He never, he never said thank you. And and Vinny gave it to John Lennon. And when, when we saw John Lennon at a Rod Stewart show, a party later, my mother said, I made, I made lasagna for John. I never knew he, if he liked it or not. So we went over and asked him. I said, hey, John, it's my mother, you know, Vinny's mother, you know, blah, blah, blah. So she goes, did you like it? He goes, oh, I love this. So my mother says, could I have my pan back? Yeah. Classic story. Probably didn't get it back, I'm guessing. But, he didn't you get know, it back. And, but she and, got and, the... You know, and I think he was with May Pang at the time. And I'm yeah. actually friends with May Pang. So one day I'm going to talk to her and ask her about the pan. Got to get that pan back. Still yeah, that'd be <laughs> uh, that's, that's awesome. And, uh, and so tell me, tell me about playing the Ed Sullivan show. Like, I mean, that's, you know, that's like a pinnacle, right? <laughs> oh, that was amazing because number one, Vanilla Fudge on that show was so animated. No, no other band that I could remember because I used to watch the Ed Sullivan show all the time. I saw the Beatles, I saw the Stones, I saw Herman's Hermits, I saw the Rascals. I saw the Rascals were maybe the closest to us, but yeah. we were wild on that show. Mark Stein with his hands slit, and Timmy looked like a spastic maniac, and I would look like a, a, a total drum monster on there, you know, killing the drums. Vinny was moving around, and the next day we sold 250,000 singles. Seriously, yeah. right? It's, I, I mean, because that one thing can, I mean, it's different now. Obviously there's oh, a million cha it. channels and nothing's gonna hit those numbers. Like, you know, everybody watches. There's no numbers them. anymore. You yeah. do 250,000 yeah. streams, you make 10 cents. Right, yeah, you know, exactly, right. great, okay. But yeah. you know, I mean, there was 50 million people watched that show. Yeah. So that there was 50 million people watched that show. and. You know, I remember we went down in the elevator and these stories are in my book, the lasagna story, the story uh -huh. in more detail. You know, we rehearsed all week and then the finally here it comes, you know. I said, that in those days, elevator operator, not push button. Uh -huh. And it was a black dude and I said, hey man, how many people watch the show? He goes, oh, about 50 million. And my stomach went like, you know, like total can't, butterflies. Can't process my, that, right? <laughs> yeah, total butterflies in my stomach while I, I was on the elevator. I got out of the elevator, walked to the set, to the drums, you know, being ready to go on. Once I hit the drums, we started playing, it went away. 
But the whole time walking, my stomach was like in butterflies. You know, 50 million people were gonna watch it. But we were lucky too, because we, we uh, worked it out. So our tour manager, who was also a sound engineer, was allowed to be in the sound booth. He wasn't allowed to touch the booth because it was union, to touch the faders yeah. because it was union. But he was able to tell the guy, bring the drums up here, guitar here, vocals here, you know? Yeah. And we sounded amazing. I mean, you can see it on YouTube. You know, when you run the, the YouTube through a sound system, it kicks butt, you know? Yeah. And then we were on it again. Second time we did shotgun where I had the big maple drums there, the same kit that I got John Bonham, you know, and that's the kid when he saw that kid, he said, I want a kid like that. And nobody knew him. It's hard to yeah. believe he was totally unknown as was Robert Plant and John Paul Jones. The only one that was somewhat known was Jimmy Page from the Yardbirds, you know, but nobody yeah. knew those guys, you know, it was like done, you know, so that's the drum set. And then the end of Shotgun was like the end of rock and roll. But right. it was done five years before. As a matter of fact, when I took Tommy Lee on, on the road, uh, when I was with Ozzy, Tommy and Molly Crew opened up for us and Tommy was doing a cymbal spin, grabbing a cymbal with his arm. And I said, hey, dude, where'd you get that? He said, I got it from John Bonham. I said, John well, Bonham? you got it from me. He yeah. Said, no, no, dude, I got it from Bonzo. I said, when we're done with this tour, come to my house, I want to show you some videos. So I took him to the house, he, he came over, I showed him the Ed Sullivan show. He said, dude, what, what year was this? I said, this was about a year before Led Zeppelin even came out. He said, dude, I can't believe you're doing that. I said, I told you. I said, hey, let me show you something else. I showed him the end of rock and roll on, on Shotgun. He said, when was this done? I said, this was about five years before rock and roll. And he was like blown away. Then, then he became a fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and we became good friends at the time. You know? Yeah. Nikki well, says lived you... around the corner. We used to go to breakfast and stuff. You know? yeah. that's, that's awesome. And I know you just have a couple minutes left. So I'll end yeah. with, um, you know, tell me a little bit about the Rod experience. The group? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I saw all these tribute bands coming out. And I said, you know, See, I, I, I found this guy, I, I, I was at a convention, this guy comes up to me. I thought it was Rod from a distance. And he walked up to me, he was short and, and introduced himself, you know, and uh, it's Fernando. I'm doing an interview, I'll call you back. Well, I'll see you in five minutes, okay? Okay, bye, 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 bye. So I, I said, wow, this guy looks just like Rod. And he said, look, I do this Rod thing. If you ever want to do it, let me know. So I took his number. And I said, you know, I'm going to try that. So I called Phil Chen. Phil did it. Uh, Jimmy Crespo to play with Rod. Him and uh, Danny Johnson to play with Rod. I said, I'm going to yeah. put this group together with guys that played with Rod, not just anybody. And then I got Alan St. James to play with Billy Squire on keyboard. And, and we did a few gigs. We went to... Uh, Macau, China. We did a couple of few other gigs. And then Phil said, ah, I don't want to play with a guy that looks like Rod in the tribute. I don't want to do that. So I got Kenny Aronson to play. And then uh, Jimmy Crespo got sick with something with his hands. So I got Paul Warren, who played with Rod for 14 years. You know, now Paul's in Cactus also, but yeah. you know, Paul was with Rod 14 years. So 
we got him in it. So that sort of band now is Kenny Aronson, Paul Warren, Danny Johnson, me, and uh, um, and maybe Alan. I don't know. I don't know where Alan is this day. We haven't done a gig in a while. But next year we're planning to do a bunch of gigs, and I want to do it with Michael DeRosha from Heart. He's got a tribute with Rob, Rob, uh, Roger Fisher, who was in Heart, called Heart to Heart. Oh yeah, yeah. same concept, same yeah. concept. So we got the Rod experience and Heart to Heart as a package for a tri tribute to Rod and Heart in one one show. Yeah, well, that sounds. That's what we're working on for next year. That sounds incredible. And I'll ask you one 30 second question and let you go uh, yeah. because I, I'm so enamored by the Fillmore in San Francisco. It's my favorite venue ever, but I know you uh, first went there in like 67. Favorite memory of the Fillmore? Easy memory. Anytime you drank the punch back there, they used to have punch. You never knew what was in it. Yeah. And one time we played there New Year's Eve, 68 into 69 and Mark Stein drank the punch and it was acid in it. Okay, and with the acid, with acid in it, he was freaked out on the stage. We did Season of the Witch, and in the middle of it, there's this thing with Shadow Martin saying, God, all this screaming to, up to God. And Mark did that, and it was, it was like freaky, you know? Yeah. And he was out of it, you know? Yeah. Not on purpose, he didn't want to be out no, of it. No, he didn't know. Drank the punch, so from then on, you never drank. Don't drink the punch punch or anything that was public backstage at any gig in San Francisco. You stay away from it, right? So, yep. yeah. yeah. That included Winterland, the Avalon Ballroom, you know, the Fillmore, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, Carmine, I want to thank you for you know, taking the time again. Congrats on the new album and all thank you Thank you, man. Going yeah, on. Keep, keep punching it, give it a good review, tell people how much you love it. Will do, absolutely. Okay, yeah. Thank you. You have a great man. rest of your day, okay? You too, man. Ciao. That was the interview with Carmine Apice here in Concert Pipeline. And that takes us to the final segment on the program, the music news. All right. Um, I actually have a handful of stories uh, that are going on in the music world. So I'm going to go through these, uh, share what's going on in the music world and add a little commentary along the way. Uh, the first is one that is um, a little bit personal to me, uh, uh, even though I don't like to admit it, but I'll admit it on the program uh, that it's, uh, it's personal. And that has to do with Steve Harwell from Smash Mouth. Uh, so Smash Mouth was one of my first favorite bands. I used to have really crappy taste in music as I, uh, I started out as a kid. And luckily a couple of friends, including my best buddy, Joe Wilson, um, got me out of that funk and helped me expand my horizons into better music, uh, which has led me to here we are today, listening and listening and talking to so many great artists uh, from around the world. Um, and uh, uh, so, I'm, I mean, I owe a lot of that to Joe Wilson um, among others that uh, to, to help me develop my palate. But, but I'll admit that Smash Mouth was my first concert. Oh my gosh, I just said it. Uh, and uh, uh, and so there's a personal nature to it. And and I got to interview Steve Harwell in the um, one of the recent iterations of Smash Mouth a handful of years back. And and I told him that they were one of, uh, one of my first favorite bands. And he said, "He, uh, I'm sorry," <laughs> which I thought was really actually hilarious that they that he finds the comedy in their band 
so this isn't as funny of a story. Um, so uh, Steve Harwell announced his departure from the band after 27 years, and it's not a smooth departure either. Uh, he announced his retirement uh, following a strange performance at the Big uh, Festival in uh, Bethel, New York, last Saturday that went viral in a subsequent TikTok video. Um, as of today, Steve will be retiring from Smash Mouth to focus on his physical and mental health, a publicist for the band told SFGate. Steve has been dealing with long-term medical issues uh, over the last eight years, and during his last performance, he suffered numerous symptoms directly linked with his current medical situation. The video, taken by a patron of the festival, shows Harwell slurring his speech and forgetting lyrics during the band's performance, dropping a beer can into the crowd, raising two middle fingers into the air, raising, uh, and at one point displaying what appears to be a Nazi salute. I'll fucking kill your whole family, I swear to God, Harwell uh, appears to yell at one member of the audience later in the set. Uh, the show appears to uh, uh, also experience a variety of technical difficulties, including audio feedback. Um, a statement from Harwell's team explained he was leaving the band due to nonstop serious medical setbacks, including heart failure, as well as acute uh, wernix uh, uh, encephalitis. I don't know how to pronounce that word. I'm sorry. A condition that has greatly impacted his motor functions, including speech and impaired memory. Once again, attributing his behavior on stage to the diagnosis. He's also struggled with several types of addiction over the years. Um, so they've been around since 1994. Uh, obviously, he had a lot of fame ever since. Um, and um, he's, uh, he says, to my bandmates, it's been an honor performing with you all these years. And I can't think of anyone else I would have rather gone through this wild journey with. To our loyal, amazing fans, thank you. All of this was possible because of you. I've tried so hard to power through my physical and mental health issues and to play in front of you one last time, but I just wasn't able to. Uh, I'm so grateful to each and every one of you who has helped Smash Mouth sell over 10 million albums uh, worldwide, put us on the top of radio charts, and those who have kept All Star relevant as one of the top memes on the internet today. Uh, I love that he loves that. Uh, uh, I cannot wait to see what Smash Mouth accomplishes next, and I'm looking forward to counting myself as one of the band's newest fans. Um, uh, Smash Mouth's next concert in the Bay Area will be at the Alameda County Fairgrounds on October 27th. Um, wow. Uh, they're going to go on without him and have another uh, lead singer is what they've said. They're going to be looking for another lead singer. Uh, should I throw my name in the hat as someone who knows most of their songs, uh, at least for, uh, up to a certain point? Um, I, I don't think anyone can fill Steve's shoes. So... Um, yeah, pretty sad, pretty sad. Um, I feel for Steve and my heart goes out to him and his family. Um, you know, it, whatever people's thoughts on the band are not a good way to, to go out for sure. So um, it's a story on Steve Harwell. Uh, this was an interesting story. For This is a Bay Area story um, that uh, I found pretty depressing yet entertaining. We're starting out with a couple of depressing stories. I'm sorry, this is just how it's going. Um, so Bay Area alternative station, Live 105 uh, changed to Alt 105.3, went really even more corporate uh, back in 2018. Um, and this past weekend, they switched over to Dave 105.3, which is totally random radio, um, just playing whatever the fuck they want, I think is their motto. Um, so after flipping on Friday afternoon to Variety Hits 105.3 Dave FM, 
uh, the former uh, format returned to KITS San Francisco, uh, I think the following morning, um, and it didn't take long. Technical issues took the Dave FM format off for about 12 hours starting on Saturday evening. The issues began taking place around 8.40 p.m. Pacific time as KITS ran hours straight of nothing but commercials, hours of just commercials uh, after what was uh, we were told was caused by a corrupted music database for the new format. When music returned a little after midnight, it was running an old log of Alt 105.3 from the spring of 2020. That programming would last until just before 10 a.m. the following morning as Dave FM returned with Tom Petty's Don't Do Me Like That. Fucking classic. I love it. I freaking love it. What a great song to come back on. Uh, and uh, by the way, if you want more on that, like uh, check out Aaron Axelson, the former program director's uh, Twitter, because he talks pretty openly about it. And he's been a staple uh, and music director for that station for years and years and years and brought so many bands to fruition uh, and given them uh, a platform and light through his uh, subsonic sound check uh, shows um on the station as well as you know just introducing new bands um uh, on the air so uh yeah good luck to dave and their non-existent crew um their playlist that's going to just be rolling and who knows no one's manning it you know uh good luck to them in the future because you know I, whatever you know i don't feel i don't listen to a lot of radio once in a while, I'll turn it on in the car when I can't think of what to listen to with the kids or something. I'm driving somewhere and I want something, you know, that they can listen to. But um, radio is, this is consistent proof that radio is a dying medium and is not going to be around for that much longer. And the fact that we don't have alternative radio in the Bay Area anymore is, uh, is a travesty. So, um, okay. So next story up. Um, Kanye West, his petition to legally change his name to Ye has been approved. So he's now simply going to be known as Ye. Can't call him Kanye West anymore. Uh, and uh, that was approved by a Los Angeles court. According to TMZ, uh, he was granted the name change. Uh, and he's no longer going to have a middle name, just Y-E. Uh, the Jesus Walks rapper spoke of the plan change uh, during a radio interview in 2018, explaining uh, I believe yay is the most commonly used word in the Bible. In the Bible, uh, it means you. So I'm you. I'm us. It's us. Uh, West went on to say that the name went from Kanye, uh, which means on the only one, to just yay, uh, just being a reflection of our good, our bad, our confused, everything. Uh, so, And back in 2019, he considered changing his name to Christian genius billionaire Kanye West, but didn't follow through with that idea. Mm, that's too bad. That one, that one would have stuck. Uh, so um, th this, of course, all comes after his long teased album, Donda. Uh, it's, it received a three-star review uh, by NME, uh, and uh, who said the rapper's 10th album follows an odyssey of delays and bizarre not-quite-release parties. The result merely punctuated with moments of brilliance. Um, so um, that happened. That's uh, that's the Kanye story or the Yay story, whichever you uh, whichever way you're looking at it. Uh, okay, so this was a cool story. The stories are getting more positive here as we go on. In case you're not, you know, keeping track, but um, but this was really cool. I saw this earlier today. 
uh, a street musician playing a John Legend song was surprised to see him in the audience. Uh, what are the odds that John Legend is in town in the area you're performing and you're singing his songs, said uh, Radha Rao. Uh, a street musician was performing a rendition of John Legend's hit All of Me in Boston over the weekend. And they had uh, she had one particularly appreciative audience member, John Legend himself. Uh, he was visiting uh, Fun Whale Hall with his family before his show Sunday night in Boston when he came across uh, uh, Radha Rao performing the hit song, uh, the Boston Globe reported. He was impressed. He gave Rao a hug and a tip. Uh, Rao, 22, didn't recognize him at first. Uh, he was wearing a mask and she didn't even know he was in town. Then he took it off. Uh, oh, uh, and uh, she admitted to being nervous, but finished the song, a regular part of her two hour set uh, that she does there, where she had been performing since August. A lot of people tend to ask, did you play it because he was there? Uh, and the answer is no. I was playing it and he happened to appear after I started the song. So it was quite a shocking experience. So um, pretty cool to meet someone whose work you're uh, a fan of just as I stumble up while you're you know, paying tribute to them in front of, a, uh, in front of an audience. Um, um, I dig it. Uh, all right, let's do one or two more uh, stories here. Um, and and see uh, see what we got. And you know what? Let's just close it out with uh, with a Dave Grohl story. Um, I I finished reading his memoir. Uh, the 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 uh, oh why am I blanking on it? We'll get it here in, in just a minute. But he he put out his new memoir, uh, and he reveals that his father didn't approve of him joining a rock band. Uh, he said, I think my father just imagined I would take the conventional route through life, where I would go four years through high school, four years through college, getting a job, having a wife, having some children, he wrote in his new memoir. Uh, and he's revealed that his father didn't approve of him uh, at joining the band and a rift formed between the pair. He said, my mother was always very supportive and it encouraged me to follow my own path. My father was a conservative Republican speechwriter, so I don't know that he understood a child like mine's mind. Uh, his father, James Harper Grohl, was a journalist and political consultant who had clear expectations for the life his son would lead. Grohl wrote, I think my father just, uh, oh yeah, he already, he already covered that. Uh, but I don't know if I ever considered that even when I was young. So I don't think I ever considered the, the conventional route. Uh, the Storyteller is the name of Dave Grohl's memoir. Uh, I recommend checking it out. It's solid. He's got a lot of great stories in The Storyteller uh, that are really enjoyable. Um, and we actually talked about it uh, in my interview with Carmine just a, a, a bit. Uh, I think Carmine and I might have different opinions on Dave Grohl and uh, his drumming uh, abilities. Carmine being a, uh, a long, long, long time rock drummer as well. So, um, so that is interesting. Um, the star Dave Grohl said that he didn't really need his approval to travel the world playing music, but won his father's respect as his career advanced. He wrote, I remember him coming to see us play at a punk rock club in Washington, D.C., and I think it was then that he recognized I was actually pretty good uh, at what I did as a drummer. He could appreciate uh, a musician's craft, even though we were playing this loud, fast, noisy, dissonant punk rock. I think that he could see that I wasn't bad at what I did. Uh, so and his father was relieved when Nirvana found commercial success um, and he understood he as a father now understands why his father was concerned. So um good stuff really good memoir check it out also i'll give another plug andrew mcmahon's memoir is coming out uh just a couple like next week 
actually. Um, so uh, it's called Three Pianos. And uh, I look forward to checking that out. I'm sure it'll be great as well. So um, get your copy for that as well. Uh, all right. That is our show for today. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, and thank you to Carmine for being on the program again. Next week on the program, we have a musician named Steve Conte. Uh, and uh, I look forward to chatting with him and uh, talking about his storied career with the New York Dolls and Michael Monroe and, uh, and so many other stories that he has. So. For all of us here at Culture Pipeline, I'm Steve Jones. I'll catch you next time.